pod starts now. Yep. I hope you have a lot to talk about. I'm really tired and exhausted. I have this a lot of feels extra obligatory to me at the moment. So. I have a lot of after show material because I had to visit a city MD today. Really? You can't just talk about that now? Uh, I don't think so. Why? Mm. Is it a private parts problem? No. Oh. God, no. Then why can't you talk about it now? Mm. Work related. It's work related? Yeah. Oh my God. Um, a work related city MD trip yeah. is not a good thing. No, and and no, since no, no, you're no. here in front of me podcasting, I'm just going to assume it was a, a third party. Mm-hmm. It's a non present entity, uh-huh. an NPE. That was having Correct. a little struggle. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, I was going to joke, oh, you have a lot of after show material. Do you need to complain about your job? <laughs> and it <Well>, turns out. <laughs> turns out, actually, yes, I, I, I'm so tired. So but sorry. That seems uh, at least a little bit exciting. I do have, I, I would like to start off with a complaint about how America's trash really quickly. <laughs> okay. So I've run through my one jar of my French skincare regime great okay go to look it up okay okay it cost me you know for my little haul plus like the smoky marvis was like 67 dollars 67 euro so 68 dollars you know yeah the one little bottle is 40 dollars in america so for me to replace the whole thing is going to be upwards of almost a hundred dollars and i am pissed well, they must manufacture that in, in France. You're it probably is, yes. uh, paying just the import the import prices. I guess. It also, you know, takes a lot of gasoline to get things across oceans. <sighs> also, you know, you can market French things to Americans at a premium oh, because they have a reputation. I'm not really surprised yeah. to hear any of this. There's no way to circumvent this and circumcise this? No, I can't cut, <laughs> no, I can't cut out the middleman. So there's, sorry. There's no way to order directly from France. Have you tried uh, going on google.fr and searching the same product Ooh. and then just making uh ch- changing your shipping address to the states and They see? usually switch it at the end. They're like, "Oh, oops, it looks like you're in America, we're going to d- redirect you to the w- American site." This is why VPNs are a good thing, <sighs> but also no, you can totally do this. Who's going to relay it? You're probably going to pay a hefty shipping fee, but I bet it will be less hmm. than um, Americano. the markup for silly yanks <sighs> over here. I know. But yeah, so couldn't mad. you have anticipated this? It's I funny should have like stocked this. up. I actually was thinking about this the other day because I, I noticed you know one of your French tubes was sitting on the shelf. And I was like, oh yeah, one day that's going to run out. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And then what happens? And then you got to spend the money again. Because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, now it's starting to work. So I can't give it up. <laughs> so I'm like, fuck. Well, now you're just like every other white woman I know, and gay I'm, that, you know. Has a re- regime. Has a budget for your regime that <sighs> runs already, into the thousands of dollars I a already year. have, like, you know, a budget. I already was like, shit, all the candles are gone. I got to re-up on that. Mm. And now I'm like, am I going to buy the, like, duo for 50 that... So is kind of okay but has a low throw or do i spend the 40 bucks on a boy smells and why is this 40 dollars? i don't really know if i want to do that you can't get a fucking mrs myers to save your goddamn life in this city <sighs> it's hard to be particular at my, this current moment yeah my advice would be i think you can take some out of the candle budget and just move it over into the skincare portfolio that's what I would recommend. They call it diversifying your assets. That's what Warren Buffett says. Fine, I'll do the two for fifty, and then I'll spend the money on the. You know, candles right now. The market's down. 
You're going to get out of candles and you're going to move it over into skincare. They're going to be sale real soon for like holiday time because, you know, you got to pump those gifts out. Well, that's the thing. It's an expensive time of year in general. I had a very expensive few days on my books. How? And it's bumming me out. What? Well, I did because, you know, I... uh, You didn't pay for your comedy? Well, that's true. So I forgot about that, but it wasn't even it wasn't even really that. Oh. It was the fact that I got drinks before. I got very expensive drinks at, at the show. Oh, of course, yeah. I got street meat twice that night. Excuse me? Yeah. We got a hot dog before Jesus and Christ. then we got gyro after. It was fantastic. <sighs> Shout out to Trevor, the only soldier I know that will eat street meat with me and gets pumped on it. No wonder it smelled crazy in here. I had a sauerkraut dog, he had a chili dog, and then we it's both disgusting. had lamb gyro. It was quite good. I was going to just say that I would just, you know, launder the Trevor laundry, but now it's all yours. So sorry. That's now sweaty straight boy laundry. That is not mine. I don't even think it needs to be laundered. I mean, he only slept in it for, what, nine hours? He Just because someone touches something doesn't mean it's soiled. That's my theory. The fuck? It, it's guest linens, Do though. you wash your sheets every day? No, but I'm the only one in them most yeah, but of the time. Trevor's the only one that uses those. Those, those are just the Trevor sheets. No. They go to the bottom of a closet like a dog bed. And then the next time he comes, you pull them out. No, he's been upgraded. Oh. I, I don't have the original set anymore. I oh, threw I them see. out. Okay. Because that, that was the one that I got for, for Hickle. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we should just institute separate guest sheets for each person, and then no one has to launder them. Who's this we? <laughs> this sounds like another onus on my fund diversification that I cannot quite frankly afford at this juncture. You know, Papa hasn't bonused in a year, so I'm feeling it real hard right now. I know. I'm hoping to get a bonus this year. I'm finally eligible. You have to work at my place of employment for more than a year to be eligible for the Christmas cash. And uh, I've knocked it out of the park in my neck of the woods, so I better be in for a hefty little refund here. Because, yeah, I spent a, I spent a bunch of money on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And then yesterday, you know, I'm setting up the new studio. Mm-hmm. So I'm just incurring expenses left and, left right. and yeah. right. You know, I, I was bummed because I went to go set up my table with my fancy new sawhorses. Mm-hmm. And I realized that one of the sawhorses was missing a critical part. <laughs> In spite of my best efforts, it's it, it was really pissing me off because I actually checked them before I left Home Depot to make sure all the adjustable legs worked. What I didn't check for was to make sure that they had the part in the middle Clamp that thing. keeps the sawhorse from spreading spreading wide Endlessly. like a whore. Mm. And uh, it didn't have that. So I had to make a trip back to Home Depot and exchange it. Ew. But, you know, I'm at, I'm, at a new, I'm at a new studio, so I realized also, oh, shit, I need extension cords. Oh, shit, one of the lights doesn't work. How do I fix that? Oh, oh shit, I don't have any stretchers, actually. I need to get some. Mm. Oh, shit, you know. I need mm. gesso. Mm-hmm. I need mat meeting. Before you know it, you know, it's like 500 bucks 500 in a bucks, single yep. day. Yep. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I'm going on a little uh, trip after Thanksgiving to the Poconos, so I owed the money for that. Mm. You know, I, ju- I just, I spent like $1,000 in three days, and I'm just like, okay. Mm. Are you that me? doesn't feel good to do. Jesus Christ. So, yeah, I got no can. I got no sheet budget. I don't even have a laundry budget. I'm just going to throw those away. And then down the line, at some point, we will get new ones. No. No, it's not going to be a we. <laughs> at some point down the line, the housekeeping staff will make new ones appear. <laughs> Listen, housekeeping, you know, like, you know, as, you know, as the resident homosexual, I cannot use my sheets for guest sheets reasons, you know? Why? AIDS might be on them. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't know who got their monkeypox shot, so, you know. Oh, that's um, true. But, you know, no, 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 no. Just, you know, just, no. Silicone loop doesn't come out, so sorry. Okay, all right. Enough, enough. I said don't start. Yeah, well. yeah. 
But then, okay, but then on top of all of that, it's an expensive time of year because you know what? Now we're hitting Christmas season. Ugh. you got to start shopping for other people, yeah. which becomes quite an expense very quickly. Not really. And I'm really worried about the timing this year. I feel like you got to get this done early. Oh, yeah. I'm it's, scared it's about ordering It's happening things. on a Saturday. Yeah, that's true, too. Which is yeah. real bitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like kind of like one less week. Yep. And it's my niece's birthday coming oh. up. And uh, I didn't get anything. So I might have to do that belatedly. You can't like send a coloring book and be like, have fun. Yeah, maybe. But well, you know, a dollar here, a dollar there. It adds up. Well, don't get any, you know, avocado toast or $4 lattes anymore. By the way, also, yeah. even an iced coffee at Starbucks is $6. So like, I don't know what the fuck we're doing here on this godforsaken. What earth. size are we talking? A venti iced coffee is A $6? grande iced Americano is four sixty-five. What the hell? I mean, I guess it's always been kind of that expensive. Mm-mm. Oh. I used to get in, get in and get out for like eight with a snack involved. Hmm. Yeah, well, there you know, you're the one lecturing me about avocado toast, but not only are we still buying coffee from establishments, we got to get a snack too. Sometimes you don't go, to, don't have time to go to the grocery store, and you're like, well, okay, I guess this is happening. Now I think the the old metric in New York City used to be ten dollars. Now I think it's fourteen. I think you can't get out of anywhere without spending fourteen dollars. Oh yeah, you can't leave your house without. Uh, I used to be able to get a bagel and a coffee for eight. Now that's twelve. Yeah, makes sense. I think everything's increased by four dollars. I think Ugh. that's a, you know, that's one fat ass monetary unit. Four dollars. Things have gone up. One uh, FMU. FAMU. Yeah. One FAMU. One FAMU. <sighs> yeah, I'm not. Shamu re- meet FAMU. Is this yeah. is that like related to that thing where the guy stole all the ETH or whatever the fuck? Oh, you know anything man. about this? Well, yeah, I'd offer to lend you some money, but crypto is having a having a tough time. <laughs> oh my god! You know, yeah, god. I was I was actually talking to Trevor about this over the weekend while we were out because uh, I don't know about him anymore, but I still have a little bit of the crypto that I had from flipping and trading, as we discussed over the years on the mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. But it was already doing so badly, and now it's and especially it was, it was what was left over from when I'd bought at the peak of the market. So I was like, well, I'm just not touching that for 10 years right and maybe i'll break even if i just leave it alone Mm. but yeah i don't know they had their layman brothers moment that's what everybody's saying the dude was like 24 and just like skedaddled with all the money yeah had you ever heard of him before no sam bankman fried Mm -mm. i i happen to know of him because uh he did become something of like a minor celebrity in the like weird intellectual circles that i Mm. sort of frequent intellectual scare quotes circle scare quotes yeah i mean it's embarrassing and cringy to say it that way but i don't know how else to put it okay he was uh, you know he was known for being an effective altruist which is like this whole movement amongst like silicon valley billionaires and tech guys to donate like massive amounts of their fortune to charity Oh, kayfabing. And you earn basically like it's clout in their circles to give most of your money to charity. And he was one of the lead like proponents of this philosophy. Uh And it's been struggling for a long time because everyone's like, this is cringe and probably not that effective. Like, sure, you're giving a lot of money away, but like, you know, that like 75% of money given to charity just goes to administering the charities. Yeah. So what are we what are we really doing here? Just virtue signaling? Yes. It's virtue signaling for libertarians. Oh, okay. That's how I would put it. Mm. People with a lot of money that don't want to pay their taxes are like, but I give a lot of money. But I write it yeah, I get to write write this down. Let's let's yeah, let's not forget that there's complicated (sighs) or not so complicated like financial maneuvering, 
you know, that allows you to write a lot. Oh, of it's almost now. that special time of year where, you know, things are going to start entering the, you know, the coffers of MoMA, the mat. Oh, yeah. Ooh, it's write down season. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. And nobody talks about that with these EA people. But anyway, I knew Sam Bankman freed through that. And it's just it's funny watching him collapse because it's like even as somebody that had money in the in the space, mm-hmm. I could have told you a long time ago that every single like crypto authority in the world is a snake oil peddler and a fraud. Yeah. I mean, you have to be a complete idiot to <sighs> not to not have seen this coming, you know. But like apparently, you know, he's well respected and it's like this big tragedy. You know, Tyler Cowen's blog, Marginal Revolution, is just is just full of It's a of tragedy that he fucked off to the Bahamas to avoid extradition. Theory. Well, you know, he's his whole business was illegal in the first place. Oh. That's why he's in the Bahamas and he set up there. Oh. Because what FTX was, like I think the mainstream news seems to be basically describing it as like like a crypto wallet thing, you know, like like Binance or Coinbase or one of these places where like basically it's a third party that acts as a bank and keeps your crypto safe. Uh-huh. It was it had that feature, but mostly what it was was a um, futures market for crypto. Oh, that's, that's incredibly stupid. Illegal in in the United States, you can't buy you can't buy calls and puts or any other kind of derivative on cryptocurrency. For obvious reasons, because yeah, the, gov- the government wants sense. to get theirs, and there's also a lot of regulation that's necessary so that you don't crash markets like an idiot. Well, so he had, you know, basically you could through a VPN or whatever from wherever you were, like I- illegally trade options on crypto. That's, inc- I mean, honestly, if you're playing Russian roulette like that, you know, sometimes that shit's gonna blow up in your face. Yeah, so I mean, it is sort of sad for all the people that like lost their money because he lost like his net worth was something like seventeen billion, and that went to zero. But he lost in total like eight billion dollars. Like eight billion dollars <sighs> evaporated from the from all from the markets, economy. but yeah. yeah, but from crypto. And like, I guess what he was doing—it's like really complicated. I don't quite have the whole picture, so someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Mm. But I think basically what he was doing was like he had another company that was like a crypto hedge fund. That was distinct from FTX, which was like the banking wing. Uh-huh. So like in, you know, in the real economy, it, well, prior to the 1990s, you you had basically like banks that held in, uh, investors savings and then their like financial wings that were leveraging money had to be separate things. Mm-hmm. And they can't cross pollinate for obvious reasons, because if you're, you know. It's making speculative interest, yeah. investments yeah. with other people's money and then you fuck up you're gonna have a bank run oh this yeah, was that's, like that's the uh it's a wonderful life problem well every every um every boom and bust cycle like every serious recession or depression like f- from you know the beginning of capitalism till 1929 this is exactly what happens so. oh Banks speculated with other people's money, fucked it up, people got wind of it, and then you have a literal bank run where you run to the bank and try to take all your money out. However, they used all your money to speculate with, so they have none. They have none to give you, yeah. This is exactly what happened in the FTX case, but with crypto. So they were using other people's crypto to, you know, do speculative bets, didn't tell anybody. This is a crazy gray area anyway, because they're operating in the Bahamas. It's already illegal. Where there is no regulation, that's why they're there. Right. But now he's going to be in big trouble, um... Because the bah- the Bahamian authorities are very upset about this. Well, and they want to extradite. They're like, excuse us, 
that's that's our scheme is that you get to come here as long as you do it you know well because what ends up happening to their economy is that all of the uh, service industry things that crop up around a billion dollar industry suddenly on their island no longer have a client right yes so they're fucking pissed because they crashed their national economy by doing this so they want to extradite him to the united states and be like previously we had no problem with his illegal activity because it was beneficial to us now that he's a poor you can have him back so he's trying to run to dubai where they don't have extradition with the united states why dubai i don't understand because also france doesn't have extradition to the united Mm -hmm. states did you know that yeah that's why roman polanski was there forever yeah Yeah. so if i had some like limited amount of wealth and could get why would you go to dubai go to france what the hell because tech people love dubai because it's like futurism and they're like the, the the ladies be subservient to us you know that's true and I mean, speaking of this, do, did you catch wind of like his lady, this whole polycule, like his what? wife was... The potato lady? Well, I guess this is a, his girlfriend, not his wife. Mm. But yeah, she looks very strange. Yeah. And her dating profiles, for whatever reason, have been coming out. Okay. Uh, are they real? Line, or are they... Number, no, line number one, tiny cutie looking for another member to add to my polycule. Line number two, HSV one and two positive. Wait, what? HSV? Do the math. H- human... What? Not HPV. Herpes simplex virus. Oh! <laughs> Ew! That was the second line of her dating profile. So people... What? Are... First of all, what's a, what's a, what's a polycule? What's a roly-poly? A polycule is what uh, polyamorous people call their network of relationships. Oh, fuck off. So if you have a boyfriend, then you have like a second boyfriend and a third boyfriend, and they're all aware of each other, that's your polycule. <sighs> so Sam Bankman-Fried was poly, so was his wife. She has herpes. You know, I think you can easily extrapolate from that his situation. <sighs> so there's been a lot of fun, uh, you know, poking fun at these weirdos over there now. I... See, this is why, like, you know, we all know, like, bankers do a lot of blow and hire hookers and shit, you know? Like, it's fine. We just get that. But, like, we don't need them to be weird. We need them to be expected in their vices, right? Like, oh, you do a lot of blow and then do some weird bets and you usually make money? Yeah. Okay. Like, we know what you're going to do and you're, like, going to be that person. Then eventually you'll calm down after your first heart attack at 41, right? Like, we kind of get it. We know. And then, like... Your second wife is probably the last one until, you know, you retire and then she's like, fucking idiot, didn't die yet. Um, But like to be a weirdo and do banky stuff, it's like, no, no, you don't. One lane. You get one lane. Well, I think this is just the Generation Z version of being like a greed is good 1980s Wall Street stockbroker, you know? Gordon Gecko's in a fucking commune. Instead of cocaine and hookers, you're uh, poly and microdosing. Oh, fuck that. That's even worse. That's like, oh, that's like boomer level, like Don Draper, I want to give the world a Coke kind of like, oh. You know, it's worse than that, though, because like Don Draper at the end of Mad Men, he kind of ends up in that place, right? Right. He's been there, done that. He's gotten drunk. He's fucked the whores. You know, he's ready to turn a new leaf. This was the whole boomer thing. But he's turning a new leaf. Well, got to make some money off of it, though. And, but you got to make some money off of it, though. Right. But these guys, they were just born into a world where, you know, <sighs> the world had been having a Coke for a few years. And they were like, no, you know, the world needs Silo <sighs> or whatever. So that's what's going on in the crypto world. But, you know. Apparently, the inventor of the Oculus made one that it, he made a... a 
what's it called when it's like a, a test version like a not a beta version but like a pre-beta version hmm. of something you know like a is the beta version of oculus where you watch your wife be fucked by someone else <sighs> i'm just gonna keep going i'm not that's not even i'm not um <laughs> but it's like it's like a game that's in the oculus but if you die in the game you die in real life because it's got three pressure chambers and it shoots into your head if you die i heard about this and well, i'm like what my let's go brandon uh group chat oh sent a link to this and uh my joke about it was if you don't follow the joi correctly you get a fentanyl injection what is a joi jerk off instruction it's a genre of pornography (sighs) (laughs) you're just learning all sorts of things i hate abbreviations i hate the world (laughs) i think i'm gonna throw my phone in a river and uh i think it's time for me to get that yurt um i think i'm ready yeah jesus take the wheel let's go I mean, I don't know. We're doing a little tech roundup here, but it is an interesting time. Well, Twitter is you probably know, gonna go bankrupt soon. Yeah, well, they, he wanted to turn it into a bank, which is funny when it's about to be bankrupt. I'm like, well, you can't do that. Um Well, you know, that's what every successful business actually is. Just like, are you aware of this? Yeah, like yeah. like uh, GM is the classic example that everybody uses. What? Or I'm sorry, General Electric, not General Motors. Oh yeah. Actually true of the car companies too. But mostly what they are in is financing. And mostly what they do with the money that they leverage from the interest they charge for their financial schemes is speculative investments. Like at a certain scale, every company is a bank. Starbucks is a bank. Mm-hmm. Like every company is a bank. Interesting. Um, what? Yeah. I mean, like their their customer base is not actually what they're concerned with. That just generates like a certain amount of like recurring revenue. Uh-huh. But they take the profit and reinvest it. When you reach a certain level, if if you have a ton of profit, you can't just let it sit there because cash loses value, especially now with inflation. Right, yeah. So the incentive to make things into a bank is like always what everyone's doing. I mean, this is what especially what tech companies have been doing with their like surveillance of you. They turn your behavior right. into a chip to trade for money, which they then, you know, speculate on the stock market. Every company does this. Yeah. So to be really transparent about it is kind of, in my opinion, amateur opinion, like a very transparent last-ditch effort Yes. to just be like, we actually can't really make any revenue other than by becoming a bank. Usually you kind of hide that yeah. so that your customer ba- base like still you know maintains some loyalty to you. Right. Even though they're not really what's like generating most of your money. Interesting. They're okay, keeping yeah. you liquid, but that's not really... They don't really care. That's why nobody cares about customer service and they'll pass you around a phone tree or whatever. They're not even that interested in you buying or, or them selling their own product. But that's, I mean, this the core of this is like, you know, at the end of the day, no one's selling, you know, it's always the thing of no one's selling hardware, you know, in like tech stuff. We're not selling the hardware. And it's like kind of like the thing with Peloton now. Do you know there's more than just the bike? And now it's like an Alexa home and like they're going to walk you through how like someone, one of the trainers is going to read a recipe to you or some bullshit. And I'm like, Oh, so it's always just to sell software because yeah, the market for like an electric bike we know is just a boom and bust cycle of when people are feeling fat. It's the same thing with Tesla. It's like not really about the car. It's the ability to turn it off unless you pay for the necessary software upgrades, right? Like yeah. Over time. Like at first it's free. Yeah. But that's how they get you. But I don't, you know, we've talked about this before of like the, the future rental everything is just like truly just the worst thing in the world. Like owning yeah. anything is, you know we're like things are getting worse and not really ownable which is even terrible 
more terrible because you're like, wait, I have to rent the shitty thing? Like, I have to rent the shitty couch from Feather or whatever the fuck? Right. I talked about it last week on the podcast. Like, I've been renting Photoshop for a couple of years for an exorbitant fee, and now I rent it and I can't use it. Right. Until I get into another financing scheme with a company I don't like called Apple, where I buy a new computer where I can use it that I have to pay off over time. You know, like you just you can't you constantly end up in these schemes. I mean, part of the part of the problem is that, like, you know, markets don't have anywhere to expand to anymore. Yeah. So it's all just there used to be territory to go and get stuff from and make new stuff. We don't really have that. Like, the economy is kind of a completely closed loop globally. Right. So all you can do is try to, like, harvest whatever meager profit you can from, like, newly invented spaces. So this is why people get conspiratorial about, like, vaccines and bodily autonomy, right? That's a new space that you can weaponize in terms of subscription. You can do that on the internet. You can do that in crypto. You know, like... Yeah, like, what if you need a pacemaker and then in the future they're like, well, you just have to keep paying for your pacemaker. That's probably... That's part of the goal. I mean, there's health insurance plans already where they require you to meet certain, like, biometrics to keep your rate. Oh, yeah, So, yeah. like, if your cholesterol goes too high, your rates go up, et cetera. They're trying to tie these <sighs> things together because there's nowhere to go and make money. Like, the idea of not having ownership, though, is interesting to me because, like... To try and, like, I don't know, to try and put a positive light to that case, like, think about what all the, like, fake internet communists actually dream of or people that, like, fantasize about the Soviet Union. I mean, there was um, there was private ownership, but there wasn't private property. Mm. Do you understand mm-hmm. the yeah, distinction? Yeah. So, like, you had things in your home that did belong to you that you could choose to lend out, but you mostly had possession of. Right. But nobody owned property, really. It was right. all shared in common. So, like... If you have like a utopian bone in your body and you are resentful against like the exploitative side of capitalist relations, like eventually that's what everybody wants anyway. The dark sided transition that we're going through is that we're still using markets, but we're also not allowed to own things. It feels unfair. It's deeply unfair. It is unfair. But you could imagine a society where you kind of go through that phase, right? And you kind of come out the other side and maybe something better than markets is created. That's mm-hmm. not for me or you to envision. We're not going to be able to like y- no, no, conjure no. that yeah. up. It's going to take a century of historical progress to get to that end. But like, I could, I can imagine a society where you don't need to own anything, and like people don't, um, people don't have friction with that idea. Mm-hmm. We're just thoroughly embedded in the idea of private property. It seems so alien that you would ever really share a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. it's threatening. I mean, I don't want to share my like chairs well the example that i heard one time that like right your chair is a good example of something you don't necessarily want to share you're happy to share it with your guests but you don't want to have to like take it out the door every time your neighbor needs it right yeah fuck that yeah that's crazy but like there's there's limits on all this stuff but the example that really like was fascinating to me was a while ago in one of uh daniel schmachtenberger's lectures remember when i was into him (sighs) no because all these people sound the same with their faux names and well, I think he's interesting, and he w- and he's the most um, he's the most communistic in a way of these like you know tech intellectuals. That's like, okay, here are the current conditions. Like, where is this going? What are we going to do with this? And the positive spin he put on the not ownership thing was like, imagine a rideshare service like Uber like Lyft or whatever. But imagine for a second that in the future, every car is electric, doesn't take a lot of energy, 
and all of the roads are structured more efficiently so there's no human drivers either right like self take take as the premise self-driving mm-hmm. cars work and and energy is cheap uh-huh. right and that that is a possible future mm. if that were the case why would anyone need to own a car why wouldn't a company like uber or lyft just simply own most or all of the cars and every time you left your house you would call one on your phone it would come driverless it would come very very quickly faster than they do now because in a universe where there is no human drivers traffic isn't slow ever fair it's incredibly fast so at a certain point if energy was cheap enough the cost of doing this would be cheap enough that taking an uber everywhere and no one owning a car and everyone doing that all the time would be not only cost effective but also like beneficial to your life it's hard to picture that even on a citywide level, let alone a country or the world, but a long enough timeline. Yeah, that's like assuming getting, we don't like, blow ourselves up. That's well, a possible option. It's like know? getting into like, you know, traffic in like Jetsons world where it's exactly. just like a giant conveyor belt. Every street is a conveyor belt that you could hop in a speed pod. And that's precisely what it would be. That's the end goal. I don't know if you've ever seen like, um, there's like there's like diagrams that uh, programmers have done that show what traffic patterns would look like if there were no human drivers. Uh-huh. And uh, aside from pedestrians having to cross the street, the traffic never really has to stop. And if there's a designated lane for pickups, it especially never really has to stop. Mm. So, you know, like the, the amount of time spent at an intersection isn't like one or two minutes. It's like 15 seconds because mm. it's that efficient. Things never run into each other. They can travel at higher speeds. Um, you know, it's human drivers that make these things inefficient. Well, no shit. I mean, so like what you you have the analogy exactly correct in your head. It's a conveyor belt. Yeah, every street would be like an airport sidewalk, but with cars instead of what we experience now, which is like a static thing with a lot of chaos on it. Right. Isn't that what makes it fun? Yeah, but I mean, you know, like, well, this is this is an interesting criticism, I guess, from like a humanities standpoint, is like. It, it, isn't the spice of life like the kind of unexpected or the human element to things? Also, but like part of the joy of like driving a car is that you're like, ha, ah, I'm driving a car. I'm I'm in control of my destiny or whatever. You know, like this is why we like going on long drives. It, you know, it comes from our riding horses for funsies, you know? Well, again, I think if you try to put like a happy face on it and really think far out in the future, I don't think things like recreational driving would ever disappear. Hmm. But they would be a thing for people that enjoy them because you might enjoy that experience. But there's plenty of people that really hate driving and have to do it a lot. That I would, am one of them. That yes. would never do it on their own, hmm. even on a long drive. I think there's plenty of people that like just don't like that. Hmm. I mean, it always blew my mind when my grandma I asked her once, like, "Why don't you want to travel the world?" She was like, "I'm just not interested. I don't like care about seeing other things, and I find travel exhausting." She's not the kind of person that would want to go on a long drive. But hmm. if you are, that kind of thing would exist in the future. So then it would be like expensive and not just like you know but what it would be like is people that enjoy horseback riding you know that's expensive sure but like eventually all technologies become this down the line Mm. you know i think i don't want to ride a cyber horsey though well it wouldn't necessarily have to be a robotic horse like real live horses would still exist but your Mm. your 20th century era car would be the equivalent of a horse yeah it would be an expensive antique that you would maintain and do as a hobby you know and some people would still do it professionally there'd probably still be formula one there'd probably still be nascar there'd be all this stuff Hmm. but it wouldn't be looked at as your main mode of transportation it would be looked at as something you enjoy Ah. rather than something you're compelled to to participate yeah right 
and and I and, you know I, I, the spice of life argument or whatever. I find myself like thinking that a lot, but I think just you're you're always constrained by whatever period you're in, and you always think it's the best. But like inevitably, things just move on. Well, people in the at the turn of the nineteenth and twentieth century were probably thinking the same thing about horses versus these new horseless carriages or whatever. They're like that'll never catch on. I mean, it's an did, old yeah. thing, and then they did, and of course they do, because it's better to go somewhere at 45 miles an hour than at 15 miles an hour. Right. It just is better. Your car doesn't shit. There's no denying that. Yeah. yeah. Streets are cleaner. Right. They, they, your car doesn't die in the same sense. Like, Well, unless they're trying to forge a river. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're a redneck with truck nuts during a hurricane, then you have problems, but. Wait, what? You don't remember that when we were in New Jersey during Hurricane Irene and we all went to the freeway overpass and watched the flooded freeway. Oh, yeah. And some guy in like a monster sized truck tried to ford, ford the new river and just started floating. I was not there for that. I yeah. think I, I think I like figured out a way around and drove because I was like, oh no, I can figure it out. Huh. Well, all right. What? <laughs> We've talked about the terribleness of the new world. I mean, I don't, it, it's, I don't know. I wa- like watching the people become fully unhinged on internet space. I'm like, I think it's maybe okay if like a twitter.com goes away and maybe it's okay if an Instagram goes away. I think maybe the problem is, you know, voices, endless voices on internets. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's interesting times. We'll see what goes away and what doesn't or what happens, but like, I think what social media will eventually become is like uh, still a thing that everybody has um, or most people have, but it's it's already this way. It'll just be a more transparent means of promotion, like basically Instagram or Twitter or whatever, much like Elon's trying to do in a very primitive and sloppy way, will just become a subscription service to promote to your already existing audience. That's what it already is. It already is that. But it will become more transparently that. It won't have the veneer of like you post pictures of your food anymore. It will be like Instagram is just for posting paintings. Just Mm. for promoting my art practice, which is basically how everybody already uses it in our sphere anyway. Right. But it'll just be that. And maybe some people won't have that. It'll kind of be like, there's a lot of people that don't have websites anymore. That used to be, like, the number one thing you had to have. And oh, then, yeah, do I have to get rid of that? I, I'm paying a lot of money every year, and I'm like, what the fuck for? I know. I Just to get it back on taxes? Like, I, fuck. I just read, uh, uh, read up on mine, but only because I was like, I don't want to lose the domain name. It's not even a question of updating it or whatever. It's just I don't want to lose my oh, you own don't want, You don't IP. want your name to uh, be forgiven handies? Be, yeah, be a Chinese prostitution website? No, I don't. Yeah. But so, you know, I, I don't know. And and I think for, like, people our age, it's like we're just rapidly aging out of this stuff anyways. There's always new social media apps, and the reason Instagram sucks is that it's tailored around being like TikTok now. So it's alienating because that's not what I wanted. I wanted still pictures of people's food. And, you know, now I have to watch, like, Jim Thirst Traps coupled with songs or whatever. I don't like it. And I don't want it. Are anymore. you on my Explore page? Yeah. I mean, it's just everybody's Explore page is this. Oh, wow. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, and who knows? I don't know. Like the the new uh, the new thing for the children. It's always been this way the last couple of years. Is you know Twitch streaming things like things that you just don't do. Oh yeah, that's yeah. and you'll never do. Well, they'll keep going under the surface, and eventually Zoomers will be thirty five years old and go. Eh, I don't know. I'm stuck with Twitch, but the new thing is blah blah blah. Just how it goes, and their shit will get corporatized and ruined too, if it isn't already. It probably already yeah. is. Um, 
like uh what was it like mammoth or something was going to be new twitter and i was like no 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 it's uh, it's just a what are those things like a discord server server yeah. mm-hmm. i don't know why i got long island a discord server you know like i no one wants to do that i think i just don't want to do internet but you have to be aware of it of like stupid idiot things in culture because that's like communication for people like we we've, we've now devolved into speaking through meme language so it's like if you don't know and don't have a touchstone you're kind of a moron i don't think you're kind of a moron i think if i met somebody that wasn't really familiar with most internet stuff i'd think they were probably pretty interesting and they probably would be pretty interesting because they would have ri- original thoughts that didn't revolve around the news cycle on Twitter, which is basically whether anyone's actually on Twitter or not, that is what most people's like entire lives revolve around. Right. That's why it's such an interesting case what's going on with it right now. And if it does end up folding, I mean, we've taken it for granted for like 10 or 15 years that it's been kind of at the center of all discourse. Of like newsiness. Too. And yeah. something, I don't know if something will replace that or not. I don't, I think everybody has a sense of latent anxiety that like, I don't, what are we going to talk about? If, you know, the four things a day that you can reliably know about. Check on, yeah. FTX, uh, Pete Davidson's apparently bagged Emrata. Like, you know, it's just like, I know these things because they come to me wait, wait, through wait, wait, the wait, wait. internet. What? Yeah, Pete Davidson and has moved on to a- Emily Ratajkowski or whatever. I need someone to explain to me what, what is attractive about that man other well, than the, the hammer. It's a it's publicists doing this. Oh, you that's realize right, that's that, right? right? That's, that's what right, all that's celebrity right. relationships are. But I forget. Um, my I'm, point is just that you know you get an automatic. Sometimes those marketing girls do the, They work real hard. Sometimes you get an automatic four things a day. In fact, the the meta discourse around will Twitter exist or not is one of these things. Right. I don't actually care really very much, yeah. but it, it but it ends up that it consumes a lot of my thinking. Well, because you it'll need... be kind of nice to not have your brain colonized by like whatever. Right. But, you know, news networks used to do this, too. I think this is just a feature of society. It probably used to be the public square back in ancient Athens or whatever. Again, yeah. like, having a Luddite attitude towards it doesn't really help either. But No, but this is why, like, you know, cafe culture still exists in, in Europe because you just, instead of, like, having endless group chats or group thread texts that some people mute immediately and go, I'll get to that eventually, um, you'd just be like, oh, let's meet up here at, at this hour. Yeah. You know, and then, you know. Yeah, but, you know, that's never coming back. Like, it's it's been enough years. It's been 15 years of this, you know. Like, people's brains have been rewired in the way that they think about talking to each other, whether they know it or not, and what they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Um, I don't think... And, and there's a lot of upsides to this. Like, we're talking exclusively about the negative sides, but it's like... You know, think about niche interests that you have that the internet and the space of discourse around niche like products or mm. services or use elements of culture. Uh, think about how much access you have to that. I don't want that to go away. Right. Like if I'm in if I'm in World War One mode, I like having Reddit to like Little, see what other yeah. people are saying. Mm-hmm. I like having Twitter for the same reason. You know, like it's not all bad. And it changes the way that you think about what you're even interested in. I don't think I, I don't think in a prior age when you had to go to the library all the time oh, for no. everything, yeah. if you weren't a bookish type of person, you'd probably just move on from some of your interests. Right. I don't think I would have 
been the type of person that would go to the library twice a week a week to like read about World War One. But the fact that I have Wikipedia, I can know every single battle off the top of my head because I have constant ready access to it. Right. And and I learn really well through repetition. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Like I don't think I learn very much from reading a book one time because hmm. I don't retain well. But being able to constantly refer oh, eventually okay. cements things in my mind. It's like it's like running a, a tread into mud, right? Like it gets deeper and deeper until eventually it's indelible. I think the internet really hmm. helps me learn in a major way that like books don't. Hmm. But it's a chicken and the egg problem too, because I'm not sure if that's the way that I am, am natively or if that's the way that growing up like this was has trained. made me. Yeah, right. I'm a big fan of let me read it once got it and then maybe if someone like challenges me on it i'm like hold on let me let me cite my source i always know where to go but like we get you know i'm always a big fan of uh, okay we get the idea here great like if we want specifics we know where we can go you know well, like like if i was to name a michelle welbeck book right would you be able to basically give me the plot summary yeah probably like if i say submission yeah what was Act One, Two, and Three of that book? Uh, act One, Two, Act Three, Act Two and Three. Act Three is very short, so it's kind of like a fucking roller coaster. It's a very much a ro- like a wooden roller coaster of a situation, you know, of a middle aged man going, "Hmm, aging kind of sucks," and these, these, you know, these is- Islamists. Well, they're kind of taking over. And I don't know if I agree with them, but hmm. It seems like things are going really well for people who just give in and just follow the regime and then oops oops go boom um and we have to drive around the countryside because it's not a Welbeck novel without that and then uh, you just give in because you want like your 25 year old hot wife uh-huh okay yeah yeah all right then you you do basically read it once and pretty much get it i mean like yeah like i kind of know that too i've read the book but like i don't think i could say it very succinctly i'm like i remember this scene and then I don't really like link it to the overall picture very well. But if I'm like, what was submission about again? I go to Wikipedia and well, I'm like, Well, it's okay. also about submission. It's about the slow easing into, you know, what's happening around you and going, feeling the sense of resistance because it's changed that you don't like it or it sits immorally to you. And then just going, what are my morals worth anyway? Fuck it. I'd rather have the spoils. Well, again, I think that's the sign of like a very uh, sharp mind and. Uh, you know, a lot of intelligence is like you're also reading it on a them- thematic level and not forgetting it. It's like I feel right. I, I feel very atmospheric about my absorption. Like at the time uh, I'm getting all of this, but mm-hmm. like a few days later, let alone like a year or two later, it's all gone, you know. Mm. And and it's, you know, and the reason I was asking you for that like summary or that thought experiment was like I, I just think I have learned that I am natively like that as a learner. Right. That I'm a slow learner and that it takes repetition. I don't think the internet like poisoned me. I just do think it helps me because I have friends like you. And just you can also just tell when you're talking to people, people that absorb things quickly and learn differently. Right. I think this has probably always been true. I was always a B student. You know what I mean? Like I can basically get it enough to get through it, but I'm not going to be able to like I'm not recite a, like, to you anything. Right. I'm not like going to dig. I mean... There's, the, uh, I don't want to say it's like jack of all tradesy kind of stuff, but it is a little bit that. Like I'm more sensitive to like literature and like that kind of thing. But anything like literature is very operational in terms of how it, uh, 
you know, the overall theme and the language and the story structure and all of that kind of are molded together because it's like very connects e like you can there's a lot of leaning it's a house of cards all, all the time so you always have to be very careful about how everything kind of builds um so that's just you know a little trigger happy for i, I can pick apart the reasons why something works and builds because i like that portion if you were to ask me about the specific language i'd be like i don't fucking know oh yeah okay i don't really care about that right we're trying to you know take the thing apart and put it back together and then you know figure out where the seams are yeah yeah i would call that fundamentals i think what distinguishes like actually smart people from like pseudo smart people is a a good a good fundamental foundation like if you're if you're there to do the connects puzzle um you have to know what the pieces are and how they connect in the first place right and if you don't have like a pretty solid like idea of that um it's going to be a lot harder for you. But I don't really care about the Bellatristic aspect, aspects of it. Like, the language itself, I'm like, oh, whatever. Ah, uh, see, yeah, no, I get, I get, I get really I caught up in that I don't get horny for mode. words, it's you know? It's very, it's, uh, it's romantic, not in the, not in the emotional sense, but in the romanticism versus classicism sense. Like, um, if you're caught up in the flourish, I don't give a fuck. you're a different type of, like, you're having a different type of aesthetic experience. Like the Cormac McCarthy book that I'm reading right now uh-huh. is kind of a tough read because it's written in like a dated Western um, Oof. Yeah. linguistic style. And it's also, it's very stylish book. There's uh, no uh, punctu- punctuation or accreditation around the dialogue. It's just sort of mixed in with paragraphs. So Ugh. it's almost, it, it's almost even hard to tell who's talking or if it's being narrated. Especially if somebody's like telling a story in the third person within this complicated. So it's complicated and it's stylish and it's fun. And it's like got a lot of, um, there's a lot of intensity to the prose as a result, but like it makes it very hard for me to read it on a thematic level. Cause I'm like, wow, that was a beautiful passage, but I'm like, that's almost too distracting to get me to like, what is this supposed to mean? You know? I mean, but that kind of thing is also very much like it's written for a, you know, a hypothetical screenplay, which it eventually becomes right. You know, I'm sure. Well, I don't think so. Of... I mean, blood Meridian was written in 1985. Like this is a pre internet book. This is pre Cormac McCarthy's but, fame. But, but the idea of a Western in 85 would be through the lens of movies only. So it would be written in the way of like, you know, Lincoln and the Bardo, but without the like actual like script writing style. Maybe, but I don't know if that's ex- I don't know if that's exactly true. I, s- I see what you're getting at, maybe, but like I also think it's just written in the context of the great American novel when people actually took that seriously. Like oh, it has a lot hmm. more to do with like Hemingway or like Melville hmm. than I think it does with movies. I think the innovation of it was something like Tarantino, where you're like, okay, there is this like oh, spaghetti, got a new book out. spaghetti western genre, and I'm like playing around with things that are familiar to a 20th century audience, but it's in service of writing like a great work of literature, not something right. that would eventually be adapted, which yeah. is why blood Meridian never has been. I don't think it could hmm. be. Hmm. It's not cinematic like that. Huh. Um, but you know, wait, uh, well, hang on. I'll, I'll get to it in a second, but I want to finish this thought. The thing that is interesting though, back to learning styles uh-huh. is one of the things that's been a real advantage of reading this book and also having the internet is that there's like extensive YouTube videos about Blood Meridian. There's uh, a lot of writing that's been done about Blood Meridian course, by yeah. amateurs and professionals that I've been able to consult and be like, okay, like what am I actually dealing with here? What should I be looking for? 
well, I'm distracted by the pros. Like, I need that type of help. I can't draw the themes out on my own. I need it a little bit explained to me so that I can have enough context clues to be oh. like, okay, all this religious iconography is actually adding up to something. Here's maybe what this character represents or whatever. Oh, I can't It's have, helpful to me. I can't have phone anywhere near me. I don't consult the phone while I'm reading all the time. I do do that for looking up words and stuff, but... Uh-uh. Um, I have to go full, like, little kid mode and be like, I'm sitting in a window. The phone is somewhere. No one's bothered. Silence, quiet. Like, that's what I'm doing. Because mm-hmm. that's... I can get through it. I can get it. And I'm present. And, like, here's a question. <clears throat> Were you good as a, a child with context clues? Yeah. Oh. Okay. A lot of people struggled with that that idea. In my youth, people were like, what? What's the... Con- no. But it just said it was this. And then you'd have teachers being like, do you think that's really what it meant? And you're sitting there just going like, you fucking morons. Like, it's called a metaphor. Get it together, Mary. Yeah. I mean, I actually... One of, one of my earliest memories was being pretty good at spelling in first grade. Mm-hmm. Because I understood compound words immediately. Yeah, because... They're two words and you shove them together. Like I remember, yeah, I remember, I think it was highway was like one of, you know, one of our reading comprehension words or like a spelling word. Mm-hmm. And I understood right immediately. I was like, oh, that's just two different words put together. It like wasn't hard to read. Mm-hmm. And that was a version, I, I, I think of like a very primitive version of context clues. It was just mm-hmm. like, okay, there's one thing, there's the other thing. Like, what do they add up to? You know, mm, that's not really context, but no. well, in terms of reading comprehension, it's a different right. thing. I'm talking about individual words. Eventually, you get to sentences where you understand the meaning of things by, you know, relating words to each like whole right. words to other words. But whole yeah. words. You're on my Twitter. But I got. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but I got, you know, yeah, I was a, I was able to do that. OK, I think I've always been kind of OK at that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's a different. It's a different animal with an adult work of literature with like a really serious one or with a movie or whatever. I think movies are a little bit easier when there's images. It's easier for me to connect to. Yeah. You know. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I think most artists were probably pretty good at context clues. I mean, that's mostly what you're doing. I know. Yeah. That's what we do. That's what you're that's what looking is. Looking yeah. is context clues all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the only way to be like novel or innovative with making any you know type of artwork i think is just like recombinations recontextualizing things that's right. pretty much all anybody's doing all the time well most people are doing pastiche yeah which is not recom- not the same thing um you know it is the same thing but like it's i think very p- past thin, thin edge pasti- yeah pastiche is used pejoratively because it means that it's like a superficial uh connection things aren't necessarily layered they're Hippos just juxtaposed the yeah yeah non sequitur style mm-hmm. yeah yeah but you can also do that well like there are artists that use pastiche but are like pretty good yeah jamie's great at it i mean yeah i wasn't thinking of her i mean sort of i don't know if she's great at it I think her. I think she just has one punchline, which isn't. Which is isn't this weird? That's that's pastiche. Uh, yeah, I yeah. More, it's not a full non sequitur, but like you know. No, they're not non sequiturs because she has like a defined aesthetic. Right. It's just that uh, it's thin on content because I'm not sure there is any. Hmm. Hmm. 
Whereas, like, you could look at a lot of, like, the artists that I lionized from the 1980s, and I think when you see their mode of working, I think you could qualify it as pastiche, but that there's a lot of, like, diversity and intentionality and, like, depth to it. But Rose- maybe I'm just overanalyzing it. I don't Rosenquist know. a little pastiche because you're like, what is this for? Yeah, I would say Rosenquist. It's just collage for for funsies. I would say Rosenquist is pastiche because the content of the work is all the same. Isn't capitalist society so kooky? And so colorful and so wild. And advertising, yeah. you know, and then like, sometimes you'll get a painting like F-111 or whatever where it's like, oh, this is a little bit political because it's a jet and a mushroom cloud. But it's like, that's a little on the nose, you know? Yeah, but it was in a bank lobby. Yeah. You know? Sure. Mm. Um, hmm. Interesting. Andy Warhol is pastiche, but like in, in a sense, when he was good, I think he was a little bit more dangerous and interesting and wide ranging. Yeah. You know, the Catholic imagery of his later stuff, even just doing like the electric chairs and the car crashes, that was pretty brutal for the time. James mm-hmm. Rosenquist never had like a scene of death in any of his paintings. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't really violence. No, it's cartoon violence. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Even your guy. What's the guy? Long Island guy. David Sally? Yeah, him. That's pretty pastiche. Yeah, he's pretty pastiche, but his stuff is very psychosexual for the most part, especially his early efforts. Like, uh, Mm. you know, I think his work kind of fell off in the 90s and 2000s for sure. But in the 80s, um, pretty interesting kind of daring work. Weird, yeah. Yeah, I would say the same thing about Eric Fischel. He has a bad rap and for good reason, but his early efforts are really bizarre. I showed you those In ways that are uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Real bad. Real bad. Um, You know, just paint rich people. I think a lot of those guys suffer from the same problem was eventually they did just get rich and got out of touch and realized that they like hanging out on the beach with Steve Martin more than they actually like making art. And that's not that big of a deal. It's just what happens. Yeah, but then you can't go backseas and be like, I want to paint some hicks. Mm, Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, because it becomes uh, like you're painting a zoo animal. Yeah, you can't go from painting bullfights to painting like people with Trump signs and be like, oh. It's Jim Bob's in the mist. Yeah. You know, like Mm -hmm. that's not right. Actually, it's it could be funny, but it's very like, hmm, that's funny. I think part of Muffy, did you see Eric's new paintings? I think part of what makes it not work is that it's painted for that audience very obviously. So even if they are trying to have like a little bit of a critical edge to them or they might have some sympathy for their subjects, like they're not in that world anymore. No, if they ever were. Yeah, and I just, I don't know how you can genuinely have that much to say about American society broadly when you've been holed up in the Hamptons for years. I mean, just what do you know? I don't think you know anything. It would be more interesting if they like watched Succession and were like, oh, that's familiar to me in a weird way. This show kind of makes me like uncomfortable about the dark sidedness of the circles I run in. Uh-huh. I think that's like what Eric Fischel was sort of trying to do when he first started painting like scenes of rich people at pool parties and stuff was charge them with the same kind of like Lynchian suburban ennui that his original things had. Um, but they just end up looking decadent. Like what succession ends up doing so well is like showing that there is a human side to somebody like Roman or like, you know, the human side of all these people is fucked up. It's the Seinfeldian idea of like, there are no heroes here. It's like very nihilistic and they're all completely unlikable. But he, you know, somebody like Fischl would never risk making his subjects unlikable. 
because he likes them. He likes them and he needs their money. Mm-hmm. You know, they're patrons at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, like, I think that's why people end up liking Alice Neal's work a lot. Is People like those? Yeah, I think a lot of people like Alice Neal. And it's huh. like, they're not my taste, but I can see where people are coming from because she never shied away from, like, making all of her subjects kind of grotesque. The yeah. interesting, yeah. like, innovative uh, or just compelling side of her work is that the grotesquerie ends up being, like, like charming and kind of loving in a way. She didn't hate them for being ugly. It was like she kind of liked it. Mm-hmm. Like her her bringing out the ugliness of a subject like did fundamentally bring out their humanity. Like think about how bad Andy Warhol looks in that like shirtless picture and how vulnerable right. that it, that is of him to have done. Like I think he was a smart guy in the sense that he would only sit for a picture like that for Alice Neal. He understood what artists were doing and that like mm. this was part of her shtick. And at the end of the day, even though he looks ugly and vulnerable in that picture, it kind of makes you love him more. Mm-hmm. Makes you understand something about Andy Warhol that his public persona doesn't allow. Hey. But that's also like, you know, with the buy-in of like of a Neilian turn. You know, you're like, ooh, I'm already in that space to kind of like expect something new and unexpected from the sitter i don't think there's a i I think you're putting it very cynically for no reason like there's not a neelian buy-in all i did that right there was offer an analysis of her work and i said right before that i don't like it yeah it's not my taste but like that is what it does just objectively (laughs) i don't think that's i don't think that's even my personal reading all i was doing was like steel manning an argument for her work I don't think you have to have a bias to like recognize that that's how it functions. Well, you don't. You don't think like. I mean, you don't think like certain like m- mystiques require buy-in. Um, I think certain mystiques do require buy-in, but again, I think it's a chicken and the egg problem. Like, I'm not sure that Alice Neal's mis- uh, mystique isn't earned. Mm. I've just never particularly gravitated to it, so I have the same cynical reaction to it that you have of, like, isn't this just romantic bullshit that everybody says? But at the same time, when I really, like, try to take it seriously for a second, I think, like, the mystique, it makes sense. It's not a mystery to me. Like, like a counterexample where I don't really get it, maybe, is, like, Agnes Martin. I'm like, everybody's like, oh, she was, like, this sort of, like, Zen Buddhist out in New Mexico. And when I see those paintings, I'm like... They're pretty in the right light, but like mostly they don't do anything for me. And I do think that that is just a lot of bullshit mystique. I think pencil pencil grid on white doesn't make me feel anything. Whereas Alice Neal's paintings I can actually like look at and go, okay, I can read this. You can't really read an Agnes Martin. You either have to take it, take people at their word that these are important Zen abstractions. And I feel that I have to try too hard to get there. I don't buy that line. I don't think that I well, uh, yeah. That's why that's why I mean about the buy-in. Like, I never buy into her as like you know a Zen master because you're like, listen, bitch, this she. How Zen are you if you can't line up the ruler all the way across the fucking painting? Like, how how attentive and how attuned are you? Um, But there's one in in Yale that's really wild because you're like, what the fuck is that? It's very chunky and very gold and very weird. Well, to continue with the like, to continue with like a similar thread of an artist like i think if i had never heard anything about agnes martin and i saw her paintings i think they'd be dead on arrival to me yeah for the most part however i think if i had never heard anything about robert ryman i don't think his paintings would be doa 
They're two different kinds of artists, but they have the same uh, fundamental thing in common, which is basically paying attention to detail and small points of material. And I think you could tell without knowing anything about either artist that Robert Ryman paid a lot more attention to that and was a lot more expansive within that framework than somebody like Agnes Martin. So, you know, and that just relies on having seen enough of both things to have a reading of them. I right. don't really have a particular investment in either artist. Yeah. It's just, I think, like, objectively through looking, Ryman is better. Well, there's more variation. Because they're basically dealing yeah. with the same, like, fundamental things. They both mm. basically do white-on-white white paintings, and they both are uh, meditative about it. If you take that as the premise, uh, it's, yeah. I think it's hard to make an argument for Agnes Martin in that case. Oh, well, it's because she's only, you know, cares about that one surface and the vortex of the painting and Ryman's more, there's more concern about the condition of the entire thing being. Yeah. Which is, you know, a little bit more chewy to look at and experience versus just like the plane. Yeah. You know, who cares about just the plane? Right. That's a little boring. At least give me a shape. If we're going to do planes, I need shapes. Well, I, I, I think Moreover, I think it's just, well, what are you trying to express? Like, if, if you're trying to express some, like, deep, uh, if you're trying to express some, like, deep inner spiritual realization, wouldn't, like, the full embodiment of the experience for the viewer matter more to you? Why would you keep it in the space of idealism where you're still making an image? The thing about Ryman that's really effective is he's actually making, like, 3D things, even yeah. though they're paintings. So, yeah. like, everything from the nuts and bolts of how it was put together to the paint application, like all matters. Like yeah. it, the, the meditative uh, process of material experimentation is fully embodied in an Agnes Martin painting. You're still making a picture. That's what I mean. The I don't know. Is, yeah. And if you, and if you're going to make a picture with no narrative, I think it needs to have a lot more emotional force and thrust like a Barnett Newman or like a Rothko. I don't, they were never big enough. I don't think that you can illustrate spiritual insight. I mean... So that's a mistake, like, fundamentally. What is, you know? like, a hobbit eunuch lesbian going to, you know, teach you in a 55 by 55 square about, you know, enlightenment, you know? Well, again, even if you knew nothing about the artist, what does a pencil grid do? It doesn't like, God, do that's that flat and nothing. Yeah. It doesn't do that. It doesn't do anything. But the but like the Newman again as a counterexample is like well like broad swaths of color like carry a lot of weight and a lot of intensity and the way that they're balanced it's very minimal yeah um, but it has tremendous effect and true it's do it uh, I sometimes guess. when they're good when they're bad Depends. they don't do it well uh, that's true of anybody but yeah. sure sure I guess yeah all right <laughs> next topic next topic we're over an hour now oh yeah. Next show. <laughs> okay, next show.